Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. And as a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Mary, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop. It's our ninth annual Cancer Survivorship Series, series Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. And this is part three, and our topic today is stress management for caregivers, taking care of yourself physically and emotionally. And, you know, that is so important because often caregivers are kind of neglected. They don't get the attention that they deserve. So on today's call, the program is only focused on caregivers. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, Live Strong, the American Cancer Society, Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it really is because of this long-term collaborative effort that we have been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 2,785 participants. So there's so many of you on the call today, and you come from all over the United States, from all different regions and states and parts of this country. We also have a number of international participants from Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Chile, China, Denmark, East Africa, England, Grenadines, India, Ireland, Italy, Korea, Malaysia, Nigeria, the Philippines, Portugal, South Africa, South Korea, Syria, United Arab Emirates, United Arab Kingdom, and Venezuela and United Kingdom. So we really have people from all over the world on the call today, and it's really a credit to you that you have chosen to spend the next hour with us on the program. Now, today's program is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and Live Strong. And I would like to introduce my co-moderator for today's program, my esteemed co-moderator, uh, Dr. Carly Perry. Dr. Perry is Program Director, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, National Cancer Institute, National Institutes of Health. Dr. Perry is going to welcome you on behalf of the National Cancer Institute and also really set the stage for this whole series in terms of the survivorship series that we have been offering for now these many years. Dr. Perry? Thank you, Dr. Messner. I'd like to add my welcome to our invited speakers and to all of the listeners who've joined us for today's workshop. I'm so pleased to be a co-host for this ninth annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series. This series focuses on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. On behalf of the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and by the Office of Communications and Education, we're pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner and co-funder for this exciting program. As Dr. Messner mentioned, the number of participants in the survivorship series and the diversity of countries you represent have grown over the years. We are very pleased by this response. But we also recognize that the popularity of this series reflects the fact that for many cancer survivors, caregivers, and families, even though cancer treatment is over, the cancer experience is not. There is now a significant body of scientific research that says what many of you already know, that being a caregiver for someone with cancer can be very stressful. You have to balance your caregiving responsibilities with the other demands of your life, and many times caregivers feel like their needs have to come second. 
Today's presentation focuses on stress management for caregivers, and we have three outstanding national experts to talk to you about how caregivers can take care of themselves emotionally and physically. This is a critical topic because research has shown that when caregivers take care of themselves, they're also better able to care for their loved ones. Again, I'm delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Messner, and I'll now turn the program over to her. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Perry, for just that wonderful welcome and also for setting the context for the program today. And it's, we really so appreciate your support of this program. Now, I would like to turn everyone's attention for a moment to all of the materials that you have received from Cancer Care. Now, in those materials, there is a lot of information about all of the collaborating organizations. And I do want to turn your attention as well to the um, National Cancer Institute's The Facing Forward series, which is a wonderful series um, if you haven't already accessed it. And there's just a lot of information about the Office of Cancer Survivorship and all the different other uh, collaborating organizations on today's program. There is an outline that speakers will be following. Now, there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you each to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. Now, we are actually in the process of planning our next year's 2012 survivorship series, and indeed your feedback really informs and really tells us what programs we should be offering. So please do take a moment and complete that evaluation form. Indeed, the topic for today was one that many of you recommended, and that's true for this entire series. Um, you've actually uh, told us what you want, and we've really, we try very hard to implement your recommendations. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to uh, begin by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Lupe Palos. Dr. Palos is uh, going to present the caregiver perspective, and she, she also is clinical research manager at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship. And I'm going to turn this program over to Dr. Palos, who's really going to provide you the caregiver perspective from her own experience. Thank you. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you for this very important discussion on stress management and the caregiver. Today, my role is to share my experiences as a caregiver and to talk a bit about the challenges and opportunities associated with being a caregiver. Being a caregiver to several family members and close friends has given me an understanding of the impact of cancer on both the person diagnosed with cancer and their caregiver. I thought I'd begin a little bit differently. I thought I would begin with the lessons I have learned in being a caregiver. I learned that the roles and responsibilities of caring for a loved one often change over the course of the cancer experience, and I refer to this as the cycle of caregiving. I learned that it was up to me to identify and communicate what my needs were as a caregiver while moving through the cycle of caregiving and the various types of support that um, I've needed myself as well as, the, as my loved ones throughout the journey, and even so now that they have finished with treatment and, and they're going back to life and living their normal life. It took a while, but I also learned about the importance of self-care and the positive steps I could do to manage stress that a caregiver may experience. And it was particularly challenging for me because as an oncology nurse, I thought I had all the tips and I thought I knew all the ways to do this. So to really just uh, take a breath and say, whoa, I need some help on this um, was difficult, but it was very rewarding when I finally did that. I learned that there are many positive aspects to being a caregiver and many ways to manage the stress. For example, I was a, as the caregiver for my uncle, there were times that my uncle and I just sat and talked about his memories as a young man in World War II and, and the Korean War, his struggles opening his own company, and many, many, many other things that I will keep as, um, you know, memories of my uncle. And that became a source of, of 
of a way to reduce my stress, just sitting, just listening, and just learning. And I believe it also helped him when we would just sit there and just talk about these things. It gave him time also to just uh, get away from, from the experience of what was going on. As a caregiver for family and friends, I found that a person diagnosed with cancer also goes through the cycle of seasons. And many of you have probably um, gone through this where um, when a the loved one was newly diagnosed with cancer and just beginning treatment, their needs were very different than now that they're a long-term survivor living with cancer and maybe struggling to maintain a normal life, being a wife, a husband, a mother, a father, or working or going to school. So depending on what point that, uh, the, of the journey um, your loved one is at, the support that the caregiver is also going to change. One of the things that I found particularly stressful and challenging for me was during the treatment when I found myself giving medication, given logs of when those medications were to be given, keeping track of the side effects, all those other things that many of you probably are very familiar with. That got to be quite challenging and at a time very stressful. So I found that I, even though, like I said, I had the background, professional background, I needed to go out and ask for help. Another area that was very stressful for me was when we went after um for example, my uncle finished his treatment and we were focusing on getting him back to normal life. Anytime he had any type of symptom, whether it was a cold or a sniffle, you know, we would get all uh, upset about that and, and worried about that. And then we finally realized that there was a way to manage that stress also. And that was by building communication between his primary physician and the oncologist and our, fa and our family members. So the support that I needed um, were uh, obtained from folks from the healthcare team, often a social worker, a nurse, or at other times it was a friend, a spiritual leader, or fellow caregiver, and on occasion I had to even contact different organizations whose services we needed to meet a new need for my uh, uncle or for myself. Sometimes I found that I needed encouragement to take time and focus on myself. Um, I had to remind myself that a major goal for me was to maintain my own health while going through all of these activities, and that to do so would help uh, my family members and the ones I was caring for uh, benefit from me being a healthy caregiver. So in the last few moments, I would just like to share a quick story with you. Um, as a principal investigator of an NCI-funded study on symptom burden in caregivers, we conducted interviews with caregivers of patients diagnosed with cancer. One day, I went into a clinic room to interview a caregiver of a woman diagnosed with breast cancer. As we went through the interview, the caregiver kept speaking about his wife, the patient. I kept reminding him that the purpose of this interview was to focus on his experience as a caregiver and that his wife was being cared for very well in the other room. Finally, this message must have sunk in. He stopped speaking, stared at me for a moment, put his head down, and as tears streamed down his face, he said, this is the first time anyone has asked me about my feelings and what I'm going through, the stress I'm feeling. You don't know how that feels. So then the caregiver spoke about the worries he had regarding his wife, the stress he felt in being a caregiver and the head of a household, and other stressful challenges. He... He also spoke about the positive aspects of being a caregiver. He found he had strengths he didn't realize, such as learning to care for his wife while she was ill, when for so many years she had been the caregiver. He shared that he had even learned to keep the house together and had realized how much work women do as homemakers. He realized that by keeping his sense of humor, he gave his wife strength. After the interview, he thanked me and said that just talking to someone about his experience had helped him and given him new hope and strength. As caregivers, we often place our own health and well-being on the back burner. Yet, because of the roles and demands, our own emotional and physical health can suffer. 
We cannot forget that one of the most important responsibilities we have in being a caregiver is to include our own self-care as part of our daily schedule. In the remaining time, my colleagues will discuss ways to reduce stress and to care for ourselves. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Palos, for such a wonderful presentation and really for representing the caregiver experience, um, both in terms of your own experience and also from the work that you do in your research. So I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, and thank you for your warmth and, and, for your, and for sharing your own experience as well. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. Laurel Northhouse. Uh, Dr. Northhouse is a Mary Lou Willard French Professor of Nursing, the University of Michigan School of Nursing. She's co-director of Socio-Behavior Program, University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Northhouse is going to address, first of all, what is stress, what, what, is that, what does stress mean, actually, and what the research tells us about how stress affects the caregiver emotionally and physically. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Northhouse. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It's uh, really nice to be on this call today, and I'd like to thank you and Cancer Care for inviting me to be a part of this program. Uh, what I'd like to do is start out by talking about what is caregiver stress. So caregiver stress is often defined as the emotional and physical strain associated with caregiving. It often occurs when caregivers find that their responsibilities are far greater than the time or energy that they have to meet them. I'm going to identify some of the more common symptoms of stress. And for the listeners out there today, think about whether or not you've experienced any of these symptoms or perhaps you've observed these symptoms in others. One of the most common symptoms is feeling overwhelmed. Caregivers, caregivers often face a balancing act. They have to balance many responsibilities in their lives, work responsibilities, child care responsibilities, as well as their caregiving responsibilities. In one stu uh, study, 28% of the caregivers said that they experienced conflict trying to balance both the work and the caregiving demands. We know from the research that as these demands on caregivers pile up, it's common for caregivers to feel overwhelmed and stressed as they try to manage a lot of these things which are really competing demands. Other symptoms of caregiver stress are the feelings of being tense or irritable. As the stress mounts, caregivers become mentally and physically fatigued, and this is often manifested as irritability. I don't know if any of you can relate to that or, again, have observed it in your loved ones, but irritability is sort of a hallmark. Uh, caregivers may snap at their loved ones. They may uh, have a short fuse, or they may overreact to things that normally might not bother them. Caregivers uh, who are stressed also feel a lack of control in their lives. They have a lot of uncertainty about the illness, maybe about their caregiving role. They worry about medical expenses, and they're just not sure what's going to happen next. So their lives are often characterized by this lack of control and a feelings of unpredictability. Caregivers who are stressed may also have a lack of confidence in their, in their ability to provide high quality of care in the home. Many caregivers feel unprepared to provide the kind of care that's expected of them. And, uh, you know, they're not nurses, physicians, physical therapists. Um, they often don't have the medical or nursing tr uh, training. And so providing caregiving uh, when they're not exactly sure what to do um, also adds to their stress. In one study, between one-half uh, to one-third of the caregivers said they did not receive the preparation that they needed to provide care for their loved ones. So finally, stressed caregivers may feel isolated from others and feel a lack of support from others. So if you're experiencing any of these symptoms of stress, 
I just want to encourage you to recognize that these are normal feelings. They're not a sign that you're coping poorly as a caregiver. A number of research studies have documented the stress reported by caregivers. And we know that caregiver stress is common. It's real. It's not a figment of your imagination. Some caregivers report more stress than others, but there is still often some stress that accompanies the caregiving role. Next, I want to briefly address what effect does this stress have on the caregiver's emotional and physical health. I'd like to start with the effect on the emotional health because most studies on caregiver stress have examined its effect on emotional well-being. And it seems that this effect on the emotional well-being of the caregiver is really one of the first effects that we see. Studies have found that caregiver stress can create anxiety, worry, depression, and some studies have even reported that caregivers um, have panic attacks as the stress mounts up. Caregivers often report as much emotional distress as patients, and even though the caregiver doesn't have the cancer in their body, per se, it's still in their lives, and this stress affects both the patient and the caregiver's emotional health. According to some studies, caregivers report more emotional distress when uh, their loved one is receiving treatment or during the advanced stage of illness. During these times, more demands are placed on the caregiver, adding to their stress. For example, caregivers often take on many of the patient's household and family responsibilities when the, the patient's receiving treatment. And the combination of needing to meet the patient's responsibility as well as maintaining their own um, adds to the emotional distress of caregiving. Research suggests that women experience more distress than men, uh, or stress as well. And even though the female caregivers may experience more stress, um, they are often less likely to seek help than are males for their uh, stress. And I think that's really important to, to point out, um, that often women are, um, are reluctant to go seek help. They think that there's, this caregiving is natural, and so whatever stress they're having, they should be able to manage. But actually, the research says they're less likely to get help, and then when they don't, that stress uh, persists. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say is that during the advanced stage, um, caregivers, especially the spouse caregivers, often report more depression than patients. And this is probably because of the helplessness they often feel watching their loved ones suffer. Um, let me see. I want to shift now just a little bit to talk about the caregiver's physical health. Well, we know there are far fewer studies in this area, so we don't know quite as much in terms of the effect on the physical health. It seems that for many years, researchers and health professionals did not consider the effects of, of caregiving on the caregiver's physical health. I think they thought that the caregivers weren't the ones who, was, who were sick in the physical sense, and therefore this whole area was overlooked. But in the past several years, there uh, have been a number of research studies on the effect of stress on the physical health of caregivers. And I'm just going to um, state some of those findings. The research suggests that caregivers um, are usually able to maintain their physical health initially as they start providing care. But as the stress of caregiving increases or it continues over a longer period of time, the physical effects on the caregiver's health start to appear. And some of the early effects that we see are sleep problems or changes in weight, either an increase in weight or uh, weight loss. Um, and some of these, these are some of the early effects that maybe some of you have already experienced. But there's some studies to say that even up to two or three years later, some of the physical effects 
can appear as uh, caregiving persists. And um, what we might see is the caregiver having more chronic health problems or an exacerbation of their uh, pre-existing problems. The physical changes reported by caregivers are due in part to the stress of caregiving, but they're also due to the fact that caregivers pay less attention to maintaining their own health, uh, as Dr. Palos mentioned. Caregivers focus on the patient's health instead of their own health. Uh, for example, a caregiver often puts a lot of effort into planning a nutritious meal for their loved one who has cancer, but when it comes to their own nutrition, uh, caregivers eat on the run, they eat, and they eat fast food, and so as a result, over time, they're, um, you know, again, less, less care for their, themselves. There's some research, it's some new research out, that suggests that the stress of caregiving can decrease the immune function in caregivers. Researchers evaluated the immune function of caregivers of patients with brain cancer during the first year following diagnosis, and they compared their immune function to people who were not caregivers. And the researchers found that caregivers had more changes in their immune system, putting the caregiver at risk of getting more infections, being more vulnerable to things like coronary artery disease, or having more flare-ups in their own chronic health problems. It's interesting that researchers found that these changes did not happen early in the caregiving role, but over time as the stress of caregiving persisted. So just to summarize, we know from the research that the stress of caregiving can have an, a detrimental effect on the caregiver's own emotional and physical health. But I just want to state that it's important not to use this information to feel more stressed or to think that now you have something else to worry about. Okay, now I have to worry about my immune system and so forth. But rather, it's important to keep this information in mind to recognize that as caregivers, you are vulnerable to some of the effects of stress on your own health and well-being. And just to take that a step further, it's really not a luxury for you caregivers uh, to take care of your health. This is not a luxury. It's essential that you try to make an active attempt to maintain as much as possible a healthy lifestyle behavior. Um, and this will then allow you to try to remain healthy as, as much as you can uh, so that you can continue to be an important caregiver for your loved one. And even though I have stressed some of the negative effects that caregiving can have, I just want to say also that there are many benefits to caregiving, um, that we are closer to our loved ones, we feel that we are doing a really important life work by caring for them. But today I just wanted to highlight some of the, the negative effects that stress can have as a way for you to think about how you can take care of yourself. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Northhouse. And really, that is such an important message that we really want people to just, this is a time for you to just think about your own needs and to, and to take care of yourselves because we know that you're often so preoccupied with taking care of so many other people and, and those concerns. So thank you so much, Dr. Northhouse, for such a wonderful presentation. And um, actually, what we'd like to do with this um, call, we have another speaker as well, but during the second half hour of the program, we're going to welcome both if you have questions, but also we welcome any of your tips or suggestions as well. So, um, so stay tuned. Um, our next speaker is Dr. David Kassane. And Dr. Kassane is the Jimmy C. Holland Chair in Psycho-Oncology. He's Chairman and Attending Psychiatrist, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Memorial Stone Kettering Cancer Center. Now, Dr. Kassane is going to address what factors increase or decrease caregiver stress, and he's going to conclude with tips to manage caregiver stress. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Kassane. Thank you very much, Dr. Mesner, 
and I'm delighted to be with everybody this afternoon. First of all, what factors do increase or decrease caregiver stress? Let's think about these as factors in the caregiver, factors in the patient, and factors in the environment, including the relationship between the caregiver and the patient. In thinking about factors that increase stress in the caregiver, first of all, having too little knowledge about the illness can be a key thing. Having a worrying style, being overcommitted in work or responsibilities, with tension perhaps between your own children and your parents, or between work and family, and ending up with some sense of feeling burnt out can really increase stress. And one can decrease that stress in the caregiver by being well informed and understanding the illness and its management well, by discussing and sharing one's worries and problem solving to resolve them, by balancing roles and responsibilities with your abilities, expanding the support base that you have, and making use of respite options, and by having a toolkit that will help you to counter burnout. So turning to factors in the patient that might increase caregiver stress, one could see difficult cancer symptoms, difficult treatment effects being problematic, and the morale of the patient can be very relevant if the person's morale is, is low, dispirited, if they're very worried or threatened. Factors that can decrease this stress in the patient include working towards good symptom management, striving to ease side effects of treatment, and sustaining the direction towards optimal goals of care, really supporting the morale and confidence of the patient. In turning to the environment and that, that exists between the caregiver and the patient, factors that increase stress here can include geography, where you live, and distance between home and place of treatment, access to the clinical team and the type of relationship that you build with these caregivers, and the family dynamics that operate in the home, the nature of family communication, whether there's a level of conflict, and the sort of teamwork that operates will impact upon stress. So one can help to decrease this stress by making use of telephone, Skype, and accessing uh, transport to help you get to place of treatment, building a relationship as a caregiver with the doctors and nurses that are treating the patient, and building a very open style of family communication so that you actively problem solve to manage differences of opinion, uh, even creating a family roster with a sense of value of what can be gained from a family meeting. So if I turn specifically to some tips then to help you manage caregiver stress, I want to organise these, making use of coping theory, which recognises three main pathways that people use towards optimal coping. These can be emotion-based coping, problem-based coping, or meaning-based coping. Emotion-based coping is where we share and work through our feelings to grieve, change, loss, to adapt and cope. So some tips to enhance emotion-based coping can include sharing the experience with your partner, your siblings, with friends, to appreciate that you are not alone. Secondly, you could belong to a caregiver's support group where there's an opportunity to debrief, to help others, even to learn yourself, 
and cancer care support groups are an excellent example of this. Well, thirdly, you could share your worries with the clinical team, with the doctors and nursing nurses, so that you enhance your emotion-based coping through sharing these worries in this manner. Turning to tips that might help to enhance problem-based coping, where one's looking for practical solutions to challenges to help optimise your coping style, there are several tips here. One is to enhance your options for quality of life through wellness, through exercise, healthy nutrition and adequate sleep. Exercising three times a week, a cardiac workout that might go on for 30 to 40 minutes is worthwhile. Making use of yoga or Pilates for flexibility. From the perspective of your diet, a plant and vegetable based diet, a diet that has a good intake of fruit is worthwhile, a very balanced diet. And sleep hygiene is worthwhile, where you wind down, relax and seek to gain a quality six to seven hours sleep each night. Self-care is also important through your own primary care provider, paying attention to cancer prevention via screening, mammography, colonoscopy or PSA, making sure that you've got a healthy blood pressure and a good cholesterol level, and living in a smoke-free environment with a healthy respect for alcohol intake. Also, a problem-based solution is to make use of respite opportunities by pursuing Personal, personal leisure activities, your hobbies, um, balancing things correctly between work and family. And so the use of a healthcare aid, a volunteer or the extended family may give you respite opportunities that become very important. Sometimes the use of rostering to get some time off from caregiving is crucial to increase the quality of the caregiving that you do. The third way of coping, meaning-based coping, is where we're really looking to create meaning in your caregiving role, meaning in life. And this means firstly recognising the value and meaning of the life lived by the person you care for, really appreciating their dignity and their worth. It means recognising the value and meaning in your role as a caregiver. It means seeing the value and meaning in each hour and minute of your day, appreciating the small moments of beauty, of joy, of connection. And it also means being spiritually well, sustaining the purpose of your life, appreciating its value, whether assisted by your church or temple, by the pursuit of music, the arts or cultural activities, nurture your creative side to really enrich your life. So let me finish these introductory comments and tips about reducing caregiver stress by reference to a, an article this past weekend uh, where Toni Morrison, the Nobel Prize winning novelist and author of Beloved, was giving a commencement speech at Rutgers University. And she said, and I quote from the New York Times, I've often wished that Jefferson had not used that phrase, the pursuit of happiness as the third right life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. She went on to say she'd rather that Jefferson had written life, liberty and the pursuit of meaningfulness. She said, I know that happiness is a real goal of our labours, our choices, but I urge you, please don't settle for happiness. It's not good enough. Personal success, devoid of meaningfulness, free of a steady commitment to social justice. That's more than a barren life. It's a trivial one. It's looking good instead of doing good. 
Toni Morrison's perspective was a powerful comment relevant to caregivers, to the meaning and purpose that you derive from your caregiving. Being in touch with the very essence of that meaning is a tremendously important pathway to optimal coping through meaning-based coping, which is one of the key pathways to a fulfilling and enriching life. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Kassane. That was really just an exquisite presentation, just wonderful, and lots of very um, important uh, tips and just also concepts for people to think about, and uh, I can't thank you enough for that, that presentation. And um, so I want to thank you very much. I want to thank all of our speakers, and I'm going to ask uh, Mary to bring all of our speakers now on board for the second half of this program. So if Mary would bring on Dr. Perry, Dr. Palos, Dr. Northhouse, and Dr. Kassane, all of their lines will be opened. And we are going to welcome your comments here um, because we also know that you ourselves are living as caregivers, that you may have some uh, tips of your own that you wish to share with us. So we would like you to have the opportunity to do that as well. So during this second part of the program, if anyone wishes to share a tip that they'd like to, that was particularly helpful to them that you think might help somebody else, please feel free to do that. Or if you do have a question or comment, you are welcome to do that as well. So I'm going to ask Mary to explain to all of you how to queue up and, uh, and comment, or, and I turn this over to Mary now. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question or state a comment, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, may press the pound key. Our first question comes from Adeline J. Hi, Dr. Mesmer. Hi, Adeline. Hi, and wonderful panel. Um, I'm not a caregiver. Um, I'm, I'm a patient that's still going through cancer treatments, but I was blessed with wonderful people that helped me. In this workshop, I got to see, I got to have an insight what could possibly be going on with the caregivers that was helping me. Um, my question is, how can I let the caregivers know when I'm capable of making my own sound decision without hurting their feelings or making them feel unappreciative? and burning my bridges because I am going to need them because I'm going to go through the reconstruction phase. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Adeline. That's just that's a wonderful question. I'm going to ask Dr. Palos if you would start by answering, addressing that, that wonderful question from Adeline. Sure. Um, that is a, a good question, and there's some different techniques that you can um, use, and I think it's going to depend on the relationship you have with your caregiver. Um, sometimes they can be your family members, sometimes they can be um, friends, or sometimes even you know folks from um, your faith-based um, institution and or your neighborhood. So um, depending on the type of relationship, you can just be frank sometimes and say, um, you know, I appreciate all the help. I really feel stronger, and I feel that I would like to be able to decide whether or not I want to stay up later or go do a walk or, you know, something, whatever it is that you'd like to do. Um, it, it Straightforward communication is the best way. Um, and you know, when you asked that question, I was I was chuckling to myself because I remembered how my uncle finally told me to uh, you know kind of like back off. He said, "Okay, I can do this." You know, so um, he didn't mince any words. He let me know because you know he was ready to start doing things on his own, and you know he felt like okay, he was prepared to do it. So I, I think one of the things is going to depend on who that person is, the relationship you have, and how you've communicated with them in the past on how 
open and frank you can be with that person. But they'll understand, um, you know, and, and they probably will appreciate it very much that you're saying, okay, you know, I'm ready to, to make my own decisions because then that will give them some free time also. I hope that helps. Excellent. Thank you very much. Our next comment or question? Our next question or comment comes from Elise F. Yes, hi. Uh, first, I would like to thank the entire panel for the presentation uh, and for taking time to consider the caregiver because, as Dr. Taylor said, we are sometimes the most overlooked people in this process, and it's, it's a difficult process. Um, my question is, um, my husband was diagnosed 19 months ago with uh, acute myeloid leukemia and had a bone marrow transplant 14 months ago. Um, I am finding caregiving now, 14 to 19 months later, more difficult than I did initially. And I'd like to know if that's common, uh, if anybody else out there has had that experience. Uh, perhaps Dr. Taylor or Dr. Northhouse could address that. And also, um, one of the things that helped me uh, get through things is I wrote a lot of poetry or kept a diary. So that was one of the things that helped me. Well, that's lovely, and so you have some tips as well. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to ask Dr. Northhouse to address your question initially. Dr. Northhouse? Well, um, yes, Elise. That's, um, I think you're raising a very important issue, and that is that sometimes <clears throat> the stress of caregiving <clears throat> excuse me, increases rather than decreases over time, and that's probably especially the case um, given that your husband went through a bone marrow transplant. That's a rather long process, and even though when the, the bone marrow transplant is over, there's still all these potential um, symptoms or whatever that could happen, so you're just not really released from being a caregiver, but probably what happens is you need to become even more uh, vigilant in terms of symptoms or changes so that they can be re reported to the healthcare team. So I really don't think it's surprising that perhaps you're feeling that caregiving is, is more difficult at this point in time. The other thing that we know is that sometimes over, uh, caregivers have higher energy initially. Um, they, you know, it's sort of a new experience and they work their way through, but by about 14 months later, um, you know, where you are now, 14 to 19 months later, some of that energy reserve is gone and the, perhaps the sleeplessness and the fatigue starts to catch up. Um, in terms of what to do, it's I think many of the things that uh, the speakers have talked about today, trying to take care of yourself, uh, trying to uh, have a conversation with your husband about what more the two of you can do together to help each other deal with kind of the ongoing stress that you've had and um, see if there's a way to try to restore as much as possible the health you have now. And I would uh, mainly say try not to be hard on yourself that you're feeling that it's more difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's not surprising given what you've been going through. I would you. just and add that I, I think the poetry that you write is terrific. It's wonderful to hear you expressing that creative side of yourself. And what about talking to your husband about having a holiday together? That could be really terrific. Oh, that's excellent, and that's a wonderful tip. I was going to ask you actually to comment on just the, her use of poetry and journaling in terms of that term as a tip of coping, and if you wanted to say more about that as well. I think it's a very nice example of meaning-based coping where she's expressing that creative side of herself in a, in a very meaningful way, and it's enriching her own life. So I think that's an important uh, dimension of caregiving, looking after the self, and uh, wonderful to see other ways of expressing your leisure and perhaps doing that together as a couple might be very helpful to 
put some sparkle back into the journey now that the hard part is over. Excellent. Thank you so much. Our next question or comment, actually. Our next question or comment comes from Meryl F. Hello. Uh, my name is Meryl, and I want to thank you for all the insight uh, I have gleaned among many other people. What I want others to know, my husband has pancreatic cancer, non-resectable. He's on his eighth to tenth month of clinical trial and doing well. And I want others to know that after 47 years of working together, solving problems, I did not know how to ask for help. I only knew how to work on it myself. And because of that, I found myself in a great pickle. Um, I informed myself. I did everything, but I could handle it all, and that wasn't the case. So my husband and I now share many things uh, that I'm uncomfortable about, and he realizes and looks at us, and I do, as a unit again, uh, working together, solving problems, not just him alone or me alone. It seems to be a reinvestment uh, in, in both of our health, health situations, and it has really helped. So learning how to ask anyone, it doesn't matter if it's a grocery clerk, you know, I need help really works well and has worked well for me. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Marilyn. That's a wonderful, just a, wonderful that you're, you're doing this, and I'm wondering if uh, Dr. Palos would like to comment on this. Well, um, I could really relate to what you were saying about asking for help. At first, it was it was quite um, it was hard because I thought I should have all the answers, and then um, if I didn't have the answers, I would do um, the research thing. You know, go to the internet and Google everything I could. And finally, I just learned that the simplest thing was to do exactly what you said: just ask for help. I mean, even if something you know, going to the pharmacist and saying, you know, I'm not sure about this medication with all his other things you know what can you know what can you tell me about this even things like that I mean and like you said um, you just ask for help from whomever is is available and after a while, the first few times it may be difficult but after a while you realize that um, it really brings comfort to you and it really is helpful in the long run for you and the person that you love and Dr. Kassane do you want to add something in terms of the way she's approached this it's just remarkable I think you, you're a wonderful model, Meryl, in uh, giving the tip that you're giving and emphasizing the collaborative and team-like approach. Building a relationship with your husband's caregivers, I think, is so important as they can be a source of guidance and support in reaching out to the broader family, asking them for help and backup, so that you're really promoting that teamwork and collaboration is a, is a very good way of... Uh, making it easier on both yourself and your husband. And, and Dr. Northhouse, do you want to comment as well? I, I agree as well. That <laughs> she's identified a really important way to, to deal with the situation and uh, working as a team, we found in our own research, is really powerful because it's the two of you together trying to get through a difficult situation. And I think it's also um, helpful for the for the patient to know that sometimes the caregiver needs um, uh, support to ask for that help. So it's not that you have to carry it all by yourself, but the patient can help in that regard too and say, you know, it's, it's important that we try to see what other information we can get. So it's the teamwork I think is very powerful. So it's wonderful that you came to that um, 
that idea. Thank you, and it's really wonderful to have the voices of all of the participants on the call today really adding so much to the call. You're an extraordinary group. And our next comment or question? Our next question or comment comes from Brams S. Hello. Oh, hi, Brams. Your comment or your yes. question? Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. This is very, it's been very helpful listening to all the wonderful points that were made today and certainly helps us a great deal in getting a better perspective and a more clear perspective of what it is we're dealing with. Uh, I am a professional caregiver. I'm an oncology social worker and I'm sitting here around a board table with several oncology social workers. We'd like to respectfully point out that it is not only doctors and nurses who look after patients and their families, but we also do a great deal to help them cope, to help them find meaning in their lives, meaning in the disease. And I'd like to hear your comments on that, please. Well, thank you very much, Ashley Rooms, for bringing that up. Actually, um, this uh, program actually, uh, ha we are this uh, group, and I appreciate your saying this. Our group uh, on the call today, um, the um, speakers that we have, all of us, we do represent the multidisciplinary team. So that uh, Dr. Perry and, and uh, I am both uh, oncology social workers. Dr. Northhouse is a nurse. Actually, Dr. Palos is actually uh, a nurse, a social worker, and a doctor of public health. Dr. Kassane is a psychiatrist, so we really are that multidisciplinary team, and we actually try to um, have that team represented because it's all of us also, much as Merrill had said, working together as a team that really can help people out there. So I am so appreciative of your saying that because, indeed, it's, it's through our team efforts um, and our all each discipline working uh, side by side together that can make such a difference. And um, would any of the other uh, Graham, uh, like I'd certainly, that. yes, I'd certainly echo uh, Dr. Mesner's comments, Graham, and thank you for pointing that out to us. Uh, we welcome that because the social worker, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the occupational therapist, physical therapist, there are many uh, integrative uh, medicine practitioners that make a wonderful contribution to care these days, and uh, as Dr. Mesner's been aptly describing it is the whole treatment team and the psychosocial care team that are important. So thank you for emphasizing that. I would agree as well uh, that it's the social workers and other health professionals make a tremendous contribution. And uh, when we all work together, I think the quality of care improves rather than any one or two disciplines alone. So I, uh, I'm glad you raised that point and agree with you wholeheartedly. And Dr. Taylor, do you want to... Well, I, I, I agree with um, uh, my colleagues on the call and, and again with um, our caller, that, with all his group of social workers there in the conference room. Um, to me, the social worker is such an integral part of the team. Everyone is an integral part of the team. Um, and that's one of the first things I, I always try to encourage, you know, patients here is, you know, have you found your social worker? Because they are a very, very, um, important part of the team, as are everyone. But I think the social worker brings a different perspective as far as even linking um, the, 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 the patient from the hospital to the community, making referrals. There's some special skills, I think, that the, that the social worker brings in, and that's the beauty of having the, the whole team approach. So thank you very much, Brams, and um, thank you. Our next uh, comment or, or question. Our next question or comment comes from Kyle W., Hello? 
This Hello, is Kyle. hi Kyle. Um, my question is a younger group of people, that would be my husband and myself, in this lousy economy. I am a teacher, I'm the caregiver, my husband has um, colorectal cancer that we were told in December he was a five-year cancer survivor, yay, and then discovered his discomfort in his stomach, um, the doctor told us um, not a month ago, just before we're going to Hawaii, that it has metastasized, and he said, are you paying attention? There is no treatment anymore. And my husband went, yay, I don't have cancer. And so my husband is living in a place of hope, yay, for him, which is wonderful, kind of. And the doctor really continued to say, are you listening to me? Um, there is no treatment. This is over. And with me staring at him saying, well, should we not go to Hawaii? and get treatment. The doctor said it doesn't matter if it's two days, two weeks, two years. There's nothing to do but keep you comfortable. Um, we went to Hawaii. My husband had a miserable time. He was sick, sick, sick the whole time. Can um, I tell your question to us? Oh, I'm sorry. The question is what, where, where do I go look for, for hope and, and assistance mm -hmm. when I'm looking at my husband is probably going to die. I don't think the doctor or anybody else has given me the actual truth to to, to benefit my husband, to keep mm -hmm. him happy. And so kind of resources for you in terms uh, of some Correct. And, and I'm a teacher without a job. So when my husband dies, I am homeless. What do so, we do? Um, Okay, well, Kyle, that's, that's an excellent question. So one thing I'm going to suggest right up front is that um, this, I will be saying more about this later, but um, Cancer Care has a staff of 50 um, oncology social workers, and we provide a lot of different services from practical and financial assistance to supportive counseling to really helping to problem solve in situations like this. So I would definitely recommend that you contact um, our, you know, contact us after the call. I will probably, I will call you myself after the call just so you and I have a chance to talk at more length. Um, also, um, I, very often people do sometimes decide to seek a second opinion when information like that is delivered in terms of what to do. So that's another option that people often will do is to think about, okay, so now what do we do in terms of, of treatment and follow-up care. And I'm going to ask Dr. Kassane if you would like to comment as well. Thank you. Um, Kyle, I think that it's an old habit of medicine to talk about no treatment when practitioners may mean no curative treatment, but there's always treatment that can be given and should be given, and so I'd certainly endorse Dr. Mesner's uh, guidance to you there about a second opinion and about pursuing uh, treatment to optimize quality of life for your husband for as long as is possible so that you keep an emphasis on the living and on living life out fully. I think that's a, a key way forward, and... Uh, we wish you well. We recognize the challenges of uh, unemployment and, and the difficulties that can be there for you. But if you speak up, uh, I'd be very helpful that some help would be available in that direction too. And so Cancer Care is a good, good uh, group to be in touch with. And anyone else want to comment, either Dr. Northhouse or Dr. Palos? Well, the, uh, in addition to the comments, um, 
that Dr. Mesner and Dr. Kinsane made, um, it seems to me that you're kind of wondering how you might be able to get information. You need information to maintain hope, and your husband's seeing things a little bit differently. And I would encourage you to try to have more conversations. You know, it's often to, difficult to get this worked out in a single or even a couple of conversations. So if this... Um, the physician, whoever, is someone who's willing to have further conversations about this, I would encourage you to go back and talk about it again. Perhaps there's another uh, health professional that works on the team that would be willing to talk with you both about this, perhaps in a little bit more detail. But it seems to me that it's important that you try to get the information together so that it's not a matter of you having information and he not having information. I think the more that you can both try to get information together so that you are sort of... Um, you know, both have an understanding of the illness, um, even though your interpretation might be slightly different. I would encourage you to try to do that. And, and I would just like to follow up that we all hear your disappointments and the challenges that you're facing. And I would just encourage you again, you know, to go ahead and take, um, you know, take, uh, take. Uh, I can't say the word right now, but I, I would advise you to uh, suggest that you really follow up with a call to to cancer care and and you know and see what they can offer to you because they do have some good services and it sounds like that's where you're at where you need to talk to someone and find out what services are there. And most importantly, we don't want anyone on this call to feel that you're alone in in coping. There are and Kylie, I think you've identified some really really critical issues that you're you're facing. And um, we would definitely want to be able to help you with that um, or with anyone on the call who feels like they're facing kind of like a, a wall. They don't know quite what to do. Um, how do I proceed next? And um, so please, we, you and I will talk after the call. But if there's anyone else on the call who does feel maybe, a, maybe their situation is slightly different, but they feel that same way that they don't quite know what to do, you know, there is free help available for you, and there are resources out there sometimes. It's hard for each of you to all know those resources, but many of us spend our careers trying to find those resources for people, so I, I just want to uh, say that. Thank you, Kelly, for sharing that with us, and um, I'm hoping that we can be of help to you. Our next um, co comment or question? Our next question or comment comes from Naomi W. Good afternoon. Um, thank you all very much for the information. Um, the question that I have, I am a family support coordinator here in, um, in our area cancer center, and trying to provide, um, I guess, educational opportunities, if you will, and one of the things, recognizing that caregivers spend so much time um, with their family member and that, that they don't take time for themselves, that's one of the classes or activities that I've been working to engage them in. However, it's been uh, extremely difficult to get caregivers to leave their family member's side when they come in, whether it's for an appointment or if they're coming in for uh, chemo treatment. Um, and when I say to leave their side, it could be for 15 to 20 minutes. So the, the and your question is? The, how, how do I engage caregivers? How do I work to get caregivers to take time for themselves while they're here? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, well, um, Dr. Northhouse, do you want to address that? Well, I think it is a challenge because uh, caregivers do want to stay close to their loved ones, especially in um, in healthcare settings, um, and it sounds like you've thought about 
uh, having a shorter visit, maybe even just for 15 minutes. Um, I would encourage you to, to keep trying, uh, perhaps talk with the uh, caregiver individually. Is there something uh, they might be particularly interested in that if you could meet with them and address whatever uh, interests or, or needs they have, try to make it as relevant as possible. They, you know, it's perhaps the caregiver may think it's going to be something for someone else and nothing relevant for me. So um, I would encourage you to try to talk to the caregivers one-on-one. -on -one. I think this is a challenge um, for caregivers to come to meetings or groups. Sometimes telephone conversations are a little bit easier because they can still be with their loved one arranged at a time that they may be more available, maybe another alternative. I just want to add, Naomi, that um, while we recommend respite for people, it's so often hard to get caregivers to prioritize that. And I'd like to encourage you to make use of volunteers through your area cancer center so that perhaps the volunteers are able to sit and be present with the patient whilst the caregivers come and join the educational activity that you want to offer them. Excellent. Um, Dr. Pelos? Yes. Um, I, uh, what you're describing is a universal challenge um, across, uh, I would say, the world. I mean, whether it's a child or whether it's an adult, the caregiver feels very reluctant to leave the bedside many times. And um, you know, the, the more different avenues that you can use to communicate with them, whether it be an educational brochure, maybe a clip on um, if you have one of those um, television stations that you know, can stream messages um, in-house for the patients or in the patient's rooms, that might be helpful. Another thing would be to, uh, when you're designing programs or developing any type of activities, to see if there's something that you could offer at the bedside for the caregiver and the patient or the family members. That might be a way to get everyone at one time to um, be able to hear the message about caregiving and some of the things that go on with that. So it is a challenge, and I would just encourage you to keep trying to uh, look at it and, and be as creative. Some of the things are new, some of this new technology, you know, maybe there's something through the smartphones or YouTubes or something electronically that you might be able to, to provide for them as educational or as informational type of, of programs. And we also sometimes use online uh, groups as well for people, which can be very helpful as well. So um, lots of options, and, and thank you for that the question. And, and I want to thank all of our speakers. I have to say our speakers have been extraordinary, as have all of you who actually have queued up and come up with some wonderful tips and also brought up some important issues that, that, are, that we all need to be aware of. And, we hope that we were helpful to you in those in dealing with those. I do want to remind you that this is a one-hour workshop and that in planning this program, we realize that you have many needs that, of course, go far beyond the scope of this one-hour program. So I do want to, again, let you all know that although the program will end soon, this workshop, the services that you can access from Cancer Care, those are endless, and they will be going on endlessly for you. And we are accessible uh, by calling one 800 813 4673, or visiting our website at www.cancercare.org, and that's in all of your materials. Most importantly, I don't want anyone to feel that they're alone in coping with uh, survivorship, cancer-related issues, um, with caregiving issues. You're now part of a community of support. Cancer Care has 50 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we're here to provide practical and financial assistance. We're here to offer individual support and counseling. We have support groups, both over the telephone and online. 
We have a lot of these type of programs coming up, and you all have a calendar of our upcoming programs, which might be of interest to you, workshops that are coming up. And we have lots of also educational fact sheets and materials. I also want to uh, remind all of you about your access also to the National Cancer Institute, that 1-800-FOR-CANCER is a wonderful resource, actually, for you to get materials and information as well. Most importantly, as we conclude our program today, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in, in coping with survivorship issues or with um, cancer-related issues. I want you to now feel you're part of a community of support and that we are here for you. Now, we do very much appreciate your sending in your evalu evaluations and your feedback. And I also remind you that there is a part four on July 12th, which is actually the fear of recurrence and late effects, living with uncertainty. So many of you have signed up for that uh, part four, but if you haven't, please do. And we look forward to your participation in future programs, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all for your participation, and have a wonderful day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.